Welcome back to our study of 1 Kings. We are in 1 Kings chapter 19 once again, and we'll be looking today at verses 9 to 18. When we last left Elijah, he was on his way to the mountain of God, Mount Horeb. And remember that he had had his famous showdown with the prophets of Baal, and God had answered with fire from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. And Elijah had slaughtered the prophets of Baal, but then Jezebel, the queen, the wife of King Ahab, she had threatened to kill Elijah. And Elijah, who had been so courageous, all of a sudden was on the run, ready to die. And uh, the Lord sent an angel to him and provided food and water. And Elijah slept and rested. And now he is on his way to the mountain of God to meet with God. And so let's see what happens when Elijah gets to Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. It says, Then he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So Elijah has come to the mountain of God, and verse 9 says that there's a cave there that he's lodging in, and God speaks to him, that says the word of the Lord came to him, and God asked, What are you doing here, Elijah? Why have you come here? Why are you in this place? And Elijah answers by saying, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So his answer seems to be, I have been faithful, I have been devoted and I am the only prophet left, and they are seeking to kill me. That's why I'm here. And when Elijah says he's 
been very jealous for the Lord. Um, that's the same word that's used to describe the actions of Phinehas in Numbers 25. Do you remember that story? This is after the uh, after Balaam uh, had um, prophesied, sort of. Um, well, he did prophesy. He had been hired to to curse Israel, um, but instead he blessed Israel and he prophesied even about the Messiah. And um, and then after that, what happened was the people of Israel, uh, though Balaam hadn't cursed them. They uh, gave into idolatry and became associated with Moabite women and with the Moabite women's idolatry. And uh, one man was so brazen as to bring a Moabite woman into his uh, tent in uh, broad daylight, so to speak, in the midst of uh, everybody. And Phinehas, it says, the son of Eleazar, this is number, number 25, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath, God says, from the people of Israel, and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. Well, what did Phinehas do that was described as jealousy, or or I think it can even be translated zeal, zealous for the Lord. What did he do? Well, that man who had so brazenly brought an idolatrous woman into his tent, um, Phinehas killed him and the woman, right? And the Lord says, he was jealous for me, um, he's made atonement for Israel, and now um, he is going to receive this covenant of peace from the Lord. And so Elijah is saying, uh, and others have, have pointed this out, I think this connection between Phinehas and Elijah as these men of zeal, men of who are jealous for the Lord. And so Elijah uh, sees himself sort of in that mold, and yet he seems to have come to the end of his rope, right? That he's he's done, it's like he's saying, I've done everything I'm supposed to do, and yet I am totally alone and they're trying to put me to death, and Elijah is just done. He's done, right? And so um, Elijah is faithful, but it seems to Elijah to have gotten him nowhere. So how is the Lord going to respond to Elijah? This is significant. In verse 11, God says to him, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Now remember, this is Mount Sinai. This is where God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. It's also where God spoke to Israel, the Ten Commandments, after he brought them out of Egypt. It's also the mountain that Moses went up on when um, he said to the Lord, show me your glory. And God said to Moses, I'll hide you in this cleft of the rock and and I will pass by you um, and I'll, I'll you know sort of cover over you as I pass by and then you'll be allowed to see my backside because no one can see my face and live. Um, and so, uh, you know, you can see the, the back of me as it were. And um, now Elijah's in that same place and God says, go stand on the mount before the Lord. And then it says, and behold, the Lord passed by, which is the same thing he did for Moses. He passed by so that Moses could catch a glimpse of his glory in the same way here, the Lord passes by Elijah, 
and Elijah is going to get a glimpse of God's glory. But notice how it happens. The Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. So there's these dramatic things happening, right? But the Lord's not in those dramatic things. Um, and... Um, then, in, then what happens next is, it says, um, and after the fires, the sound of a low whisper, right? And that's, and then God speaks to Elijah again. So um, this, this week, um, like many of you, I, it, I'm not sure when you'll be watching this or listening to this, but this week is when so many of us have been stuck at home because of the weather, all the snow. It's been beautiful, right? But we've not been able to really go anywhere. And one of the things that has meant for me is I don't have all the usual uh, commentaries and, and tools and things that I normally have. I have some, but not all my usual ones. And um, so one of the things I did in preparing this study is I used the ESV Study Bible. And so I'll use that sometimes even in my normal preparation, but that was one of the few options I had for getting notes about 1 Kings. And I, and I mentioned that to say um, the ESV Study Bible and other study Bibles like it, they're really, really helpful tools. If you don't have one, it's good to have one because um, in a very short space, they can give you the most important information about a passage of Scripture. If you have a question, you're uncertain what it means, trying to put things together, um, you don't have to read pages and pages and pages. Sometimes just a paragraph can really help you understand what's going on. So, uh, for example, here, uh, when it talks about the, the wind and the earthquake and the fire, the note here in the ESV Study Bible says, the emphasis on Mount Carmel, remember that's where the showdown was with the prophets of Baal, the emphasis on Mount Carmel had been on God's spectacular ways, particularly his use of fire, right? God answered with fire from heaven. The emphasis here is on God's quiet ways. He is not to be found in the spectacular elements of the storm outside the cave, but instead in a low whisper. Uh, that's really helpful for seeing the contrast between how God was showing up in 1 Kings 18 and how he's showing up now in 1 Kings 19. All right, so Elijah hears this uh, small voice or this low whisper, and then verse 13 says, When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So Elijah gets asked again by the Lord after this, um, you know, not dramatic, but still significant uh, revelation of the Lord, right? This is what we call, um, in some sense, we, we call this a, a theophany, right? A, a way in which God has made his presence known in um, a, a more manifest way, right? It's one thing for God to speak, but it's another thing for him to to show up and show his glory. And the Lord passing by Elijah like he passed by Moses on the mountain, that's a theophany. That's God making his presence known, revealing himself. So after God reveals himself to Elijah, uh, again, he gets asked the same question. What are you doing here? Why are you here? And he answers in the exact same way he answered the first time. 
All right, in verse 14, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So no change in Elijah's answer. He's still talking about the same problem, still describing himself in the same ways, right? Um, so uh, even the Lord passing by does not seem to have affected the way Elijah thinks about the way things are going on. In fact, it's almost like Elijah has rehearsed this answer. Um, you know, sometimes when we're in some kind of difficult situation or some kind of conflict or something, we sort of rehearse our version of events in our mind. Like, this is why this is happening, and this is what's going on, and this is what should happen to me, and this is why, you know, this person was wrong, or this person was right, or whatever. And sometimes we, we sort of, we may not realize we're doing it, but we are, we're sort of rehearsing in our minds the, our sort of summary of the story, what we think is happening, right? And Elijah seems to be doing something like that here as well. Right, Elijah, why are you here on this mountain? Why have you come out to this place? And Elijah says two different times, here's my version of events. I've been faithful. The people of Israel have not. They've killed the prophets. They've broken down the altars. So they're not worshiping the Lord. They've broken his covenant, forsaken his covenant. And uh, they're seeking my life, and I'm the only one left. Uh, that's that's so things are just awful things are i've been faithful but israel has not and yet i'm the one who's on the run and this is not the way it's supposed to be that seems to be elijah's answer um now what is god going to say to elijah after he gives him the same answer again well in uh, verse 15 it says the lord said to him go return on your way to the wilderness of damascus and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. It's one of the nations near Israel. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. That's the northern kingdom. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mecholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Now, that sounds to us really um, undramatic, maybe even anticlimactic, right? That's just sort of like setting up the next part of the story, it sounds like. There no, doesn't seem to be any real rebuttal there, right, from God to Elijah, Elijah, but there is, right? What God seems to be saying here is, look, Elijah, you think things have not gone the way they're supposed to. You think um, that everything is collapsing and nothing is working, but I'm telling you, I've got a plan. My work is going to continue beyond you. Here's what you're going to do to set up the next phase of my plan. And I'm, I'm going to keep working. Even after you're off the scene, even after you're gone, I am still going to be at work setting these things right. Because then he says in verse 17, The one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. So these people who have been unfaithful, who deserve God's judgment, God says they're going to get judgment. They may not have gotten it on your timetable, Elijah, but they're going to get it. Either they'll be put to death by Hazael, or if they escape from Hazael, they'll be put to death by Jehu, or if they escape from Jehu, they'll be put to death by Elisha. Right? Again, here's how 
uh, the ESV Study Bible summarizes this. So helpful. Um, it says, God gives Elijah new instructions. Whereas he r- has run south in despair to the desert of Beersheba, he must now return to the very north in obedience and anoint Hazael, Jehu, and Elisha. A new political religious order, excuse me, political and religious order is to succeed the old, and this order will bring about the final victory over Baal worship. Total victory will come as a result of an ordinary political process, and they say a whisper, so like the whisper, the quiet work of God, the quiet voice of God, as God removes certain kings and sets up others. It will not come only as a result of obviously spectacular demonstrations of divine power, wind, earthquake, and fire, they mention, right? as at Carmel, and it will arrive not as a result of Elijah's efforts, but as a result of the efforts of others. Elijah's role is now to prepare the way for these others, who are only a few of many servants of God who have not bowed to Baal and, and so on. So that little note, again, is just a few lines, but it really captures the meat of what is going on in this passage, right? That Elijah is being told that God's work is going to continue. It's not going to happen in a dramatic way like it did on Mount Carmel. It's going to happen in a much more ordinary way, and that's okay, right? And it's, it's going to keep going, and God's going to keep working. And not only that, but Elijah is told, look, you are not as alone as you think you are. Verse 18, God says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So there are 7,000 in Israel who have not been unfaithful, who have not worshipped Baal, who have not given in to the pressure or whatever to uh, worship this false god but have refrained right from honoring Baal and, and bowing down to him. And God is going to preserve them from the judgment that is coming. Paul cites this passage in Romans chapter 11 when he's talking about uh, the Jews. Uh, the Many of the Jews have rejected the Messiah. Has God rejected the Jews? And Paul says, absolutely not. Just like there was a remnant in Elijah's day, so there is a remnant in the present day. God always preserves a remnant. God, um, as my pastor used to say, God always has his people, right? God always has his people. So um, that's important for us to remember from this passage that God is usually doing, well, probably not usually, we can probably say always, God is almost always, if not always, doing more than we realize he's doing. I think we can say that pretty, pretty firmly, right? That God is always doing more than we think he's doing or than we realize he's doing. Our scope, our vision, like Elijah's, often is very narrow. Unfortunately, it's often centered on ourself or our little corner of the world, and we don't realize how much God is up to, right? We might be focused, it could be just on our life or our family or our community or our church or even our state or our nation. All of those are too small. God is at work across the whole world in every nation, drawing people to himself, building people up in Christ, using them um, to bring glory to him and and to spread his name and to spread his word and to spread the gospel. And and he's doing so many more things than we realize. That's one thing to take from this story. Another thing to take from this story is God is often at work in 
undramatic ways. There are times when he acts dramatically, something surprising, something obviously miraculous, right? Something on the order of fire from heaven in answer to prayer, or a drought, right, um, that uh, begins and ends, um, or it comes to an end when Elijah prays for it to come to an end. Those are pretty dramatic. But this passage is reminding us often God works in ways that are not dramatic through the raising up of a new king, right? Through the mantle of leadership passing from Elijah to Elisha. Um, This quieter things, right? Less dramatic things that God is at work in those things too. And often he's working more often in those undramatic ways than in dramatic ways, right? Uh, It's similar to how we see in scripture during the ministry of Jesus and and even during the time of the apostles, um, all these healings and casting out demons and people being raised from the dead. Um, What are we to make of all that? Why aren't things like that happening all the time now, like they seem to be happening all the time in the Bible? Well, they didn't happen all the time, even in the Bible. Um, And that's not God's primary or normal way of working. Um, normally, right, things are happening happening in a, on a more quiet scale. It's just people loving each other and taking care of each other and telling people about Jesus and uh, gathering together to worship Jesus and loving their neighbors. Most of the time, the way God is working is through those things that seem quite ordinary, right, but um, are still wonderful and good and pleasing to the Lord. So, If you find yourself, once again, like Elijah, discouraged, depressed, feeling defeated, thinking that God's work has come to an end because you don't see how this could go forward, it didn't work out the way that you thought it would, or whatever, remember that God is at work in ways that you haven't yet realized, you haven't yet seen, and that God may be working in different ways than what you hoped he would or what you thought he would. It may not be as dramatic. It may not be as significant. It may not be as obvious. But it is nonetheless really and truly the work of God. And his work is not dependent upon us. It wasn't dependent upon Elijah. It's not dependent upon me. It's not dependent upon you. He was working before you and I got here. He'll be working after you and I are gone. His work will always continue because he is faithful and he is unchanging, and his purposes never fail. And we can thank God for that. Amen.